from Sabbath to Sabbath, actually from, from day to day, as followers of Christ, we spend you know, quite a bit of our time reflecting on the many attributes of God. We're often reminded of the wonderful mercy of God, something we'll be marveling about for the rest of eternity. I don't know about you, but I often catch myself looking forward to the justice of God. We talked about this in Sabbath school, reading some of the Psalms. There, there's so much evil and corruption in this world, but a day of judgment is coming. We could study about the incredible patience of God. I mean, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be looking forward to eternity if it weren't for God's long-suffering. Or we could focus on the wonderful love of God. That would need to be a 10-part series if we wanted to just scratch the surface of God's love. Or we could consider the wrath of God. There's a lot of confusion about that. God is a, a God of love and of justice, so there's, a, there's the wrath of God all through Scripture. We could study about the mighty power of God and uh, spend lots of time focusing on that. But today I, I would like us to look at one particular attribute of God that maybe you haven't thought of as much, but it's, it's all through Scripture. I'd like to direct your thoughts this morning to God the great experimenter. Before we begin, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we open your word today, we, we pray for your Holy Spirit to to attend us, to, to help us to understand, and also to, to put into practice in our lives uh, the principles that are there for us, Lord. Thank you that you're a loving, merciful, long-suffering God. You're the great experimenter, and we uh, pray for you to be with us now as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is actually in the business of conducting experiments. You know, we're made in the, the image of God, and uh, and we certainly have this, this need to be curious, to, to, to be inquisitive, to kind of experiment, to hypothesize, and to try to understand uh, why things happen the way they do. That's just part of our existence. But this idea of God being an experimenter, that might seem a little strange, because doesn't God know everything before it happens? Doesn't he know the end of, from the beginning, like it says in Isaiah 46? The purpose of doing an experiment is to find out the what and why, but, but God already knows. So let's, let's go to God's Word, and let's look at several examples of God as the great experimenter. Probably the best known is right there in the book of, of Job. You already know that the book of Job attempts to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Summarizing the story, Job, a, a righteous man, is found in the beginning, of, uh, uh, I mean, he, he's found a righteous, through no faith of his own, he finds himself in some very hard times. His children are killed, his property taken, I mean, he loses everything. And on top of all that, he's inflicted with a very painful disease. The reason for Job's dilemma, or for it being portrayed in the Bible, um, is found right there in the very first chapter of the book. Of course, Job wasn't uh, privy to that chapter. He didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, at least in the beginning. Scholars believe, by the way, that Job was actually written by Moses, not by Job, and it was probably written before Genesis, maybe the very first book of the Bible. At any rate, Job wasn't present for this encounter between God and Lucifer that we find there in the uh, chapter 1 of Job. We're going to pick up at verse 6 
in chapter in Job 1. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Wow, is that not a, an eye-opener? <laughs> um, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? God knew, but he, you know, he had to kind of get it on record. Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And boy, he sure has been. You know, he's all over the place, isn't he? And each of our trying to cause trouble with all of us. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So God's kind of introducing this possibility for an experiment here. <laughs> um, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He, he is blameless and upright, uh, a man who fears God and, and shuns evil. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Uh, Satan comes back, well, you know, why is he doing this? That, that, is he doing it um, for nothing? Ha have you not put a hedge around him and, and uh, his household and everything he has? You, you've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are, are spread throughout the, the land. But now just, just stretch forth your hand and strike everything he has, and let's see what he does then. Let's see if he doesn't curse you to your face. It's as though the, the curtain is pulled back. On a, on a heavenly stage, and everything is revealed. The recorded account in Job 1 gives us a, a behind-the-scenes look at this heavenly caucus that's taking place. As this curtain is pulled back, it's there where God is challenged to prove that his creatures love him for himself alone, and not merely for what they can get from him. Think about it. How many times do you thank God for what he's done, but how many times do we praise him and thank him when things haven't? gone our way, when, when there's nothing to necessarily that's coming to your mind to thank him for, uh, so, so Satan might have a point here, you know, he, he's proposing an experiment, and he's basically saying, you know, why not rob Job of all his blessings, and then let's see what happens. The amazing thing is that God accepts the challenge, and he allows the experiment to take place as the whole universe looks on. It is as if this earth becomes a laboratory where one man, Job, is placed in a crucible to see whether faith will triumph over tragedy in a fallen world. Well, not too far into the experiment, Job's wife is used by Lucifer to try and push Job over the edge. Uh, she says in Job 2, verse 9, are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. You can imagine the devil is cheering that on, wouldn't he? As, as uh, Job's wife gives Job some advice. But before we rush to judgment about Job's wife, remember, she just lost ten children too. <laughs> She's just lost everything herself. She's expressing some grief, but not in a very productive way. And Job comes back and says in verse 10, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil as well? Now that good that Job refers to in verse 10 is, was all we were supposed to experience until we made that choice in the Garden of Eden. And since the rebellion, we have suffered the consequences of our choices. I mean, life is all about Choices and consequences. Choices and consequences. We've all made choices that we've had to suffer the consequences to, haven't we? 
I wouldn't need to get a hand raise on that one. We've enjoyed some of those consequences when we made some good choices, and we've had to learn the hard way on some choices we've made and suffered those consequences as, as well. Now, as we continue the story, after Job's wife leaves, who comes in? And now we've got his three friends. Maybe the wife did leave. Maybe she, she cheered them on because, you know, if you have friends like that, who needs enemies? You remember what they started accusing Job of. You know, bad things don't happen like this to good people, Job. Uh, you must be doing something behind her back. Uh, you, you deserve what's coming. That's, that's just a quick summary of kind of what they conclude. Um, and so we usually end the story of Job somewhere about here saying, well, Job stood up, you know, his faith was intact in, in the midst of all this. But I want us to go further into Job here. I want us to go to, to oh, there's the three, I'm sorry, there's his three friends. <laughs> um, it, it took me an hour to make that painting work the way it did, so you've got to enjoy that for a minute, okay? Um, that was a lot of Photoshop work. Um, but, but now, now look, look what Job says in chapter 30. This is after he's suffered the pain on himself, uh, and that usually can break you down pretty quick when, it, when, it, when the boils came and he's in constant pain. But look at what he says in Job 30, verse 19. We don't usually go to this part of Job. Look what he says here about God being unfair. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, in, and you only look at me, God. Um, you turn on me ruthlessly. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. Um, wow, Joe, oh, 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 why don't you tell us how you really feel? I mean, uh, I mean, Job's wavering in his faith a little bit, or maybe he's just being real and candid with God. You think God can handle it when we, when we struggle, when we wonder? He gave us that ability to wonder and to, to question and to think. The thing is, Job hangs around for the answer, and God does give him the answer. That was Job 30. In verse 38 and 39, God answers Job with uh, 62 different questions in Job 38 and 39. I mean, questions that neither Job nor you or I can, can fully answer. Um, with, with the implication that if you can't understand the ways of the universe that, that I created, by the way, then... then why do you think you can figure out me and, and why I am allowing things to happen the way they do? I mean, questions like in chapter 38, um, verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation, Job? <laughs> and, and where were you when I established the seashores? And, and have you explored the recesses or the, the trenches of the sea? By the way, the Mariana Trench over in the Western Pacific, is six times deeper than the Grand Canyon. In fact, the Mariana Trench is deeper than Mount Everest is tall, and it, and it runs a 1,550 miles in length, seven miles down. And so, you know, he asked Job, have you explored the, the trenches of the sea? Uh, uh, and, and do you have any idea how large this earth is, Job? And, and speak up, Job, if you have even the beginning of an answer. Do you know where the light comes from, Job? We're still trying to understand light and, and how, it, how it works, how it can pierce the darkness, the, the lights of the heaven, and, and so forth. Those are just a sampling of those 62 questions that God posed to Job. But as we stand back and take 
an overall look at this book of Job, we find that this world is a lesson book, a laboratory. God did not precipitate this experiment, but he is allowing it to happen, allowing sin to run its course so everyone can see the horrific results of rebellion. You see, God is all about free will. And we in the whole universe are seeing how things have gone with this free will of ours. We're in the midst of a terrible experiment of rebellion, which when it's over will provide an eternal safeguard for the universe so that this sin problem will never rise up again. Amen? Now, in a court of law, the lawyer will ask a bunch of questions. Questions he already knows the answers to, but they've got to get on record. You know, that, that court recorder is recording a mile a minute, and uh, the witness is answering the questions. It's all getting established in that court setting. Uh, God knows all things. His understanding is infinite. His ways are so far above ours. He knows the end from the beginning. But for the sake of the universe who's watching, and for, for our sakes, since we too are watching, there's a great controversy being played out. Satan and Jesus have been in a war. Satan and his angels, they started this war, and they were cast out of heaven. And now this, this great controversy is right here, raging on earth. So let's look at some, some other examples in the Bible and build this case for God being the great experimenter. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, where God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to what? To test him that he might know all that was in his heart. As if God didn't already know? Well, you probably remember that Hezekiah got deathly sick, I mean, to the point where they're telling him to get his, his house in order. <laughs> um, but when Hezekiah prayed, God chose to add years back to his life. In his sickness, he had promised to walk in humility all the days. Yet, he became proud after his recovery to the point that he even showed off the, the, the holy um, treasures to the Babylonians who passed through, and that's what they came after many years later and brought back to, to Babylon. You know the rest of that story in Daniel chapter 1. But, but he showed off all those treasures, and, and he did not give God the glory for the miracles in his life. And so God left Hezekiah to himself, we read, so that he would see his heart for what it was. How often do we cringe when trials come our way? You know, generally when a trial comes my way, I'm, I'm quick to pray for that trial to be removed when I probably should be praying, Lord, help me in this trial to, to grow closer to you and, and pray that in this trial you'll be glorified. glorified. Trials are a part of life. This side of heaven, heaven is not fair and you're going to face difficulty, uh, but it seems to be a necessary part of life for us to realize our helplessness and imperfections that are in the way of our eternal allegiance to him. Hezekiah needed to see what, what he, that he was not so perfect as he thought he was. It's good for us to know ourselves, to know our weaknesses, to know our sinfulness, so that we not become conceited or self-confident. Our need is, 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 to, to, is to always live in dependence upon the divine creator, not to be sticking our fist up at God when things don't go our way, 
but to be trusting in the God who loves us. We don't know the capacity for corruption that exists in our hearts, nor what we would do if God left us to ourselves. Just as an experiment was going on in Hezekiah's heart, so with, with ours today. Us humans are so quick to forget that it is through his grace, his power, that we're saved. So I ask the question, not what's in your wallet, <laughs> but what's in your heart? Because, you know, by the way, what's in your heart will determine what's in your wallet and, and, and where it goes. But, but sticking with this, this thought of what's in our heart, I think of Genesis 6-5. It grieves me to read this verse. God saw that the wickedness of man, that's mankind, that's you and me, was great. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only what? Evil continually. Does what is in your natural heart and the evil you have the capacity to do, does it not drive you to your knees, to the foot of the cross? Now, while we're still thinking about Genesis, let's look at another picture of God as the great creator, a great experimenter. In Genesis 18, verse 20, the Lord God said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I'm going to go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Again, isn't that a strange statement on, on you know, first look from the one who knows everything? To, do you need to come down and see? But God sends two angels as messengers to Sodom and Gomorrah because the lesson is really not for God's benefit. Obviously, he knows he sends these angels, and they not only learn by watching, but the rest of the universe gets caught up in the experiment as well. See, the rest of us need to, to see this and learn. And so here's, here's um, another example in Genesis. And this one, oh yeah, he sent the angels down. There's your slide for that. I'm forgetting my slides. But, but in, in, um, as we continue with this theme of God the experiment, look at Genesis 22. After these things... God did what? He tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And here's the experiment. God asked, no, actually he tells Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, the son that Sarah and Abraham had long for, prayed for, for decades, the son that the future of God's people rested upon, and he tells Abraham to sacrifice him to slit his throat on an altar. Abraham, I want to take your son and lay him on the altar and, and take his life. You know, if somebody came in today and said, you know, God has told me to, to take my child's life. I'm going to kill him this afternoon. What would you do? You, I hope you would call the authorities. <laughs> um, Abraham trusted God, and uh, he did what God told him to do. He took the knife. He's feeling for that carotid artery. He's ready to do what God has told him to do. But the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven in verse 11 and, and says, do not lay a hand on this boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from your son. You have withheld from me, your son, your only son. So God 
tested. He, he experimented. He conducted an experiment on Abraham's faith. I would say Abraham passed the test, wouldn't you? Here's another example of God the experimenter in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, where it says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and, what? Test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see the experiment taking place? Again, God already knows before we do what we do. So who was the testing actually for? You know, we're, we're going to jump down to verse 16 and get the answer. Look at verse 16 of the same chapter. God fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might, here's the two words again, test you to do what? To do you good in the end. That's why God allows us to go through trials, through tests. That's why the experiment's going on. He could have wrapped it all up in the Garden of Eden, and that would have left us have never existed, but instead, he's performing this experiment. He's saying, whosoever will, I would love you to spend eternity with me. He always has this his ultimate purpose to test us for good. So as we face tests today, probably, before the sun goes down, and tomorrow and the next day, it's for our good as we let God guide us, and bless us, and fill us. But there's also a, a bigger reason why God is allowing this experiment to go on. We find this being explained to us in Hebrews 12, where it talks about that great cloud of witnesses that's looking on. The whole universe is looking on as we run this, this race called life. We have the privilege of vindicating the God of the universe in this, this great controversy that we're in the midst of. And we get to validate his trust and confidence in us as followers of him. By our lives surrendered to him, we can bring glory to God, the great experimenter. Now, permit me to read to you just one paragraph from a book written for ministers. Um, but I think it applies to all of us. In fact, doesn't Peter tell us we're all a part of the, the royal priesthood? The Lord Jesus is making experiments experiments on human hearts through the exhibition of his mercy and abundant grace. He is effecting transformations so amazing that Satan, with all his triumphant boasting, with all his confederacy of evil untied against God and the laws of his government, stands viewing them as a fortress in Pregnable to his sophistries and delusions. They are to him an incomprehensible mystery. Whew. I like that quote, don't you? So, are you a fortress impregnable? Are you an incomprehensible mystery to Satan? Or, or does he have your number? <laughs> does he know just what buttons to push? And you go tumbling down every time. 
We can be this fortress impregnable, this incomprehensible mystery to Satan. I love giving Satan a, a bad day, don't you? God will get us through if we surrender to Jesus so that when we're put to the test, we'll say, not I, but Christ, who lives within me. But, you know, about this time, you might be tempted to say, I don't know if I want to be the subject of an experiment. I mean, anyone's experiment. Can I opt out of this whole thing? Well, God could have ended the experiment at the garden, couldn't he? That first garden, you know, called Eden. Where would that have left you and me if Adam and Eve had died in that garden that day? What was the warning? If they ate of the tree, death. But it was only because Jesus stepped in, Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that Adam and Eve didn't die immediately that same day. Yes, they died the first death later on, but it's the second death we have to be concerned about, the eternal death. God could have ended the experiment at that garden. He also could have ended it at another garden, the garden called Gethsemane. The humanity of the Son of God trembled in that trying hour. The awful moment had come, that moment which was to decide the destiny of the world. The fate of humanity trembled in the balance. Christ might even now refuse to drink the cup apportioned to guilty man. He didn't have to go through it, did he? he? He prayed three times that it could pass from him, not because he was shrinking from his duty, but because he didn't want to lose his eternal relationship with his father. He was giving up an eternal relationship for people who were spitting in his face. That's why he couldn't see beyond the portals of the tomb. He might wipe the bloody sweat from his brow and leave man to perish in his iniquity. He might say, let the transgressor receive his penalty. He deserves it. I'll just go back to my father. The words that fall tremblingly from the pale lips of Jesus are these. O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. God, in his love and foresight, chose to take a very real risk with us and then for us <laughs> through Jesus. He has given us a way out of this hopeless predicament. And there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. He's given us this way out, and if we choose the right way, then we, we have a victorious Savior. If we're following him, then we have eternity to look forward to. Well, all right, if you don't want to be in God's experiment, then your only other choice is to be Satan's guinea pig. Jesus said, if, if you're not with me, you're against me. So what's your choice? God tells us, I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore, please choose life. When a young person leaves home and you know, does his thing and, you know, or her thing and, and, and doesn't follow God and has to be free, man, um, who's getting picked? Getting picked is he or is she? When you start taking drugs and you're, you're addicted and you're, you're, you're bound, you're entwined, you can't even make decisions for yourself anymore, you need help outside, is that freedom? That's not the experiment that God wants us to go through. That's what the devil does with us when we, when we choose to, to walk away from God. Why not submit yourself to God's experiments? Because God's experiment results not in the destruction of the specimen, but in its glorification, in its salvation. So we do have a, have a choice. 
But remember, when you give yourself over to God, he does not treat you like a throwaway. The devil sure does. When you play footsie with sin and get entwined, um, he desires to, to sift you like wheat. He, he wants to devour you like a lion. Nothing would delight Satan more than to destroy you and your family. No wonder the family's being attacked today. That's the, the core that God created along with the Sabbath. He created the family there in, in the garden. And he's done a good job of, the devil's doing an awfully good job of convincing families to fall apart and not even be families. And change genders whenever they feel like it. 64 different varieties today. Nothing would delight Satan more than to, to destroy this world before Jesus can even get back. Uh, uh, he knows he has but a short time. And so he's seeking to drag down as many as possible with them. Even the devil knows that we're vulnerable and easy prey to him when we're on our own. The question is, do we know that? Even the devil knows that there's a way that seems right, just like that mouse seeing that big piece of cheese. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of... I did that children's story right here, Julie, where I would snap the, the mouse trap, and it, was, you know, it would ring, and, and I thought, that's a little too hard on the kids to, to be that graphic, but that's how graphic it is. When we think we're going the right way, if we're not centered in God, we're going to wander right into the devil's way. Even the devil knows that he has everything to offer, that, that God has everything to offer, and that he has nothing to offer. The question is this morning, do we know it? It sure doesn't seem like it sometimes. And so, even the devil knows that if we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. If we come near to God, he will come near to us. And so that devil is pretty angry. He's going to make war, not have a picnic, but going to make war with the remnant of God's seed, the, the last day church. The final result of this testing, this grand experiment, is if we draw nigh to God, submit to his experiment, we'll experience peace and joy and happiness for eternity. As it was said there in Deuteronomy 8, 16, God tests us that we might, he might do us good in the end. So God is the great experimenter. He wishes us no harm, just, just peace and happiness and eternal life, but he can't force it on us. And he's wanting to perform that experiment in your heart. In fact, he's in the process of performing experiments in lives of millions in the world today. It's taking place in every willing heart. The laboratory is planet Earth. The experiment is one that will determine the destiny for each of us. And the experiment is just about concluded. Jesus is about to come. Will you, will I be successful in this experiment that God is performing? Are we willing to come under the watch care of the great experimenter? Are we willing, like psalmist, the psalmist told us, to, to go under the eye of the microscope, to let God see everything, to come to him just as we are, and to willing to be vulnerable with God, to be real with him, so that he can begin to do his work within us? What tests have you experienced this week? What trials have come your way? With God's grace, did you pass the test? Or, refusing his power and grace, did you fail miserably? If that's the case... Jesus is there to kiss away our failings, to pick us up, and to get us back on the path again. He loves us with an everlasting love. And so to our 
our scripture reading for this morning. Consider it pure joy, James tells us, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God is on our side. He's ever looking out for us. When we willingly surrender to him, when we willingly surrender to him, we will never have anything to regret for having allowed the experiment to successfully take place. But the most important reason to participate in this experiment is not for our salvation. I've come to that point in my Christian experience, I'm not tooting a horn or anything, but there's times when I pray, Lord, I just want you to be glorified. If I get lost in the, the shuffle, it, it's, it's, it's what happens with you, God, you know, in the universe that you've made. I want you to be glorified in the end. That, that's going to be God's children's wishes in the last days. Revelation 12, 11, 11, they love not their lives unto death. It's all about God. They have as their model death before dishonor or the transgression of God's law. That's their motto. And so the universe has been watching this experiment, this, this laboratory called Earth. And, and wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, Paul says. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The universe is watching. Simply keep your eyes on him who will finish what he started in you, and the experiment will be a huge success. Now, I can't close this message about God the great experimenter without talking about the greatest Experiment of all, the, 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 big, the biggest, the riskiest experiment of all. It was a 33-year experiment, but it began to be planned actually thousands before, actually before the foundation of the world. When Jesus stepped forward and said, my blood for them, Father, let me go and take their place. If I had been the Father, I would have been too afraid of the risk. Uh, no, no, they're, they're not worth it, son. Let's just let them blow themselves up. You know, they've made their choices. You mean too much to me, I can't let you go. But no, God was in Christ reconciling the world. God the Father loved us as much as his only begotten son that he gave up. And uh, so Jesus was willing to be abused, to be tried, to be tested, to be crucified. And Thank God, praise the Lord for the results of that experiment. It was a complete success. Jesus victoriously came out of the grave. As we, as we close this morning, as we look at this messed up world that we're living in, is there really any doubt that Jesus is not coming soon? No, and none too soon. I mean, the tragedies are multiplying around the world, from natural disasters to hatred of men going to an extreme, um, and all the accompanying results of this, this rebellion that's, that's running its course. The results of our rebellion has wreaked horrible results worldwide. We're clearly living in the last days. While men and women's hearts are failing for fear for what's coming, we're instructed to look up, lift up our heads, 
our redemption draweth nigh. The experiment is occurring on different levels, on a global scale and in your hearts too. So God is waiting to finish the experiment to show to the universe that his character can be perfectly reproduced in his people. And everyone can see that his way is the only way that makes sense in this universe. Imagine that day when the experiment will be complete and Jesus will say to all those who have faithfully vindicated his name, those who have faithfully put him above their own needs and desires, who've loved not their lives unto death, to all those who have submitted themselves to be part of this grand experiment, Jesus will say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of thy Lord. Come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so our prayer until then should be, Father, Father, lead me day by day. Complete your experiment on me. Help me to do thy will and vindicate and glorify you as this great controversy comes to a close. Don't pray, Lord, take those, those trials away. But rather pray, Lord, let me glorify you in this trial, this experiment, this test. Lord, may you be vindicated. It's not so much whether or not God is on our side. I hope you figured out a long time ago that he holds us by hand that won't let, won't let go. He's on our side. The question is, are we on his side? Have we chosen to follow him? We have an anchor, an anchor that will keep our souls sure and steadfast the billows roll. Quoting from Hebrews 6.19, it, it, this, this anchor is firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, there in the most holy place where Jesus is pleading his blood for us. Only Jesus can get us through. Will your anchor hold? Jesus is not going anywhere. Are you clinging to him 